Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As old millennials, we've been prioritizing health and wellness a lot more these past few years. While we may not be Spencer pratting it up, just not just yet. I mean, Emily, don't, don't count us out here. With crystals <laughs> on our bodies, we are thinking how much more we need to stay hydrated. Recently, I started traveling with at least one liquid IV stick in my bag to make sure I'm staying extra hydrated, especially when it gets hotter or after a night of a little too much fun. Liquid IV is the category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being, and their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. Use it the first thing in the morning, before a workout, when you feel a rundown, or after a long night out and on long flights. My sister recently got married, and as her maid of honor, I put liquid IV sticks in all the bachelorette party bags, and my sister and her husband put them in their goodie bags when we traveled to Costa Rica for the wedding. Those came in super handy after hitting an open bar in the sweltering heat. I'm a big fan of, yeah, it was very nice to have. I'm a huge fan of the watermelon ones and the tangerine flavor, which has an immune boost, even better when you're traveling and worried about keeping your immune system going. They fit easily in a toiletry case or even a tiny purse, so it's super easy to pour one in your water bottle. One stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone and contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C, with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks and probably, I mean, I know for a fact because I recently had a Gatorade, uh, a much better taste. Oh, absolutely. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code OLDMILLENNIALSPOD, that's OLDMILLENNIALSPOD, at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code OLDMILLENNIALSPOD at liquidiv.com. Bye! Hey! Hi. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the 90s and 2000s. I'm one of your hosts, Emily Bejan. And I'm your other host, Margot Poupard. Before we had a slew of cinematic available for streaming rock docs coming out every year, thanks HBO, there was a perfect one-hour format series where we learned everything we needed to know about stadium legends, teen idols, and tragic members of the 27 Club. It was a world where you would see groups achieve overnight sellout success, experience the lowest of lows because of greedy managers or addiction, and then sometimes rise a phoenix from the ashes. Today, we get to talk about Behind the Music, the iconic VH1 series. Premiering August 17, 1997, and going on to span 16 seasons and 256 episodes, most recently airing on Paramount+, Plus. this show is, in a word, as I mentioned earlier, iconic. Uh, first thoughts, Margot, as we dive into this. I mean, I really, I think behind, I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit, like when we talked about true life, but I think that, uh, behind the music is the inspiration for all rock docs that are like currently yeah. being 
obviously, you know, not, I'm not talking about like, you know, the last waltz or whatever, but um, even like 30 for 30s, like in thinking back of like cautionary tales, Mm -hmm. I think that so much borrows from true life and from behind the music and people have tried to reboot or redo it. And it just doesn't have like the same cachet, I think, especially because everything you can look up online now, like you don't need a behind the music, but without behind the music, I would have never ever heard of like Millie Vanilli or like understood what happened to MC Hammer or anything like that. It's so funny you bring both of those up because those are, in fact, the first two episodes of the show that ever air. Um, and the the reason why Behind the Music came to be was because there was a producer at VH1 um, was just at lunch with uh, one of the other producers, Gay Rosenthal and Jeff Gaspin, and they were like, whatever happened to Millie Vanilli? And they had no idea. And so they started trying to find the members of Millie Vanilli and were like, let's do a show about this. Let's use it. Let's try this format. And it was a hit. And they knew that they had a hit on their their side. And that's like kind of how it takes off. It's just like it starts originally with really groups of that are, are more of a where are they now caliber that had huge success, but then kind of had a downfall like MC Hammer with taxes and a one hit wonder status, Millie Vanilli with lip syncing. And then later it becomes a show where these like bigger acts who do have the rebound and come back and still sell out stadiums uh, come to do episodes. Right. Like a TLC, which they exactly, also did. Exactly. Exactly. Or even like, well, I guess even like a salt and pepper, like a little bit too. I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I mean, they're doing fine now, but, and I don't remember the episode like super clearly, but I do know that they, I mean, I think I learned the most about like owning your masters and mm-hmm. um, having the right representation and not hiring family and friends as like your representatives and it taught you a lot of valuable lessons um about what it meant to like actually work in the entertainment industry kind of similarly to like what 30 for 30 now does for athletes and just the sports industry in general of just like i wouldn't say they don't only just provide cautionary tales right like i think they also serve as like um kind of like you remember at like scholastic book fairs they'd have those like 30 page biographies on like historical people that cut out all the tragic shit like i feel like behind the music also serves as that like you know they had like a fleetwood mac one which i think i'm not saying they cut out all the drugs i'm just saying that as time has gone on as an adult i realized like what exactly was happening behind the scenes a little bit more than like what behind the music kind of did because i also think that they have to play that game of placating musicians just enough that they don't get pissed off at VH1 to where they don't want to run their music videos or have their music featured on the channel anymore. You're totally right. And I think it speaks to a culture shift, which is back in the late 90s, early 2000s, people weren't as comfortable admitting to that kind of thing. It was still very taboo to talk about addiction. It still is to this day. But I think that two things happened. One, you know, you now have channels like VH1 where there aren't as many sensors and filters and, you know, subject matter can go into more detail. Uh, but two, I, I think in some ways it became more accepted in some ways to talk about, you know, that confessional style or just like of explaining the reality of what had happened. Um but yeah, I think you're right. Like there definitely is a, a, a layer of, I don't want to say censorship, but but there's definitely a way of kind of making light of what were much more severe drug addictions or other issues, you know, that seeped into those people's lives. It's, um, but it is amazing that, you know, that format stood the test of time for so long. Um, and to your points, so much serves as the inspiration for 30 for 30 for all the rock talks that come out. And I would argue a lot of podcast formats, like I think it, 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 it really, that format really has found it's a second home in an audio only space. That's an amazing point cuz like as soon as you said that the first thing I thought about was that um Richard Simmons like podcast documentary yes. that came out. It yes. definitely had tinges of behind the music to it for some reason at least like to my ear like the way that they kind of build mystery and intrigue through behind the music because they come at it assuming that you don't really know anything and there always was like an ominous tone to behind the music yes. even if there was a happy ending it always felt like the other shoe could drop it quite literally any, any time any right 
any but moment. That's such a good point. There are so many podcasts that are dedicated to aspects of behind the music, whether it's about I mean, like some of like the lighter, fluffy stuff I'm thinking of now is like the Dolly Parton's songbook podcast. Like that's like a much nicer, fluffier. But I'm sure whether it's just exploring specific songs of one hit wonders or like an entire band's discography of like what happened to them. I think that a lot of podcasts borrow heavily from it. But it, not having behind the music anymore, though, I think I mean, it's similar to my crusade about how we need to bring back I love the insert decade here. Like it's totally also served as a basis of like pop culture a history. Primer. Yeah. Yeah. For people that yep. people, aka like people our age, younger people to learn to understand jokes better uh, that happened on The Simpsons. You know what I mean? Like there's just there's so much context that now gets left out considering how fragmented Yes. Everybody consumes culture. And for a long time, Behind the Music was like a, a monoculture in and of itself. So was a lot of VH1 programming, which we don't have to get into here, like a pop-up video. But like, I feel like Behind the Music served and VH1 served as like a lot of pop culture history preservation that they don't give a fuck about now at all. Totally. And you you bring up something which is kind of like this almost secondhand pop culture knowledge that it's a secondhand lived-in experience in which we watched episodes of I Love the 80s during a decade where we were alive for very, very little time and during that time barely conscious right. of the world. Yet our knowledge of the 1980s is significantly deeper than anyone you know in high school's knowledge these days of the early 2000s or 90s. Like and part of that is because you didn't have the choice of streaming right. whatever content you wanted or you know TikTok or whatever like your you kind of watched whatever was on TV and and VH1 you know on a shoestring budget made like some really really good TV yeah i mean when you say behind the music i think about either like days during the summer spent inside yes. watching it or like sick days or even just like coming home from school. And I mean, we could do a whole episode on like Nick at Night and that's totally that integration in the way that they preserved older TV shows and introduced them to an entire new generation of people. Um, and I think that's what Behind the Music did. I totally agree. To kind of start my questions for you, Margot, when did you first watch a Behind the Music episode and do you remember what that episode was? Or do you remember at least maybe the first few episodes you caught? It was definitely like Millie Vanilli. Oh, yeah. And MC Hammer were like some of the – and TLC because I remember that they did that footage. Like they did like fake <laughs> – not fake they did like reenactment footage of left eyes accident in honduras which like state it still st as soon as i'm like saying it out loud too like it really stayed with me because it really was like scary yeah i mean they put they like had that they had someone drive a shitty azuzu tracker like through questionable mud roads and it really did feel dangerous remember that that felt really messed up the millie vanilli one i remember thinking i didn't and I still to this day don't understand like what the big deal is <laughs> yeah. about them lip syncing. Um, obviously, like Ashley Simpson survived way worse. Not to say that I mean, not like she really has like a, a music career that much anymore, but it seems to be more of her own volition versus, oh, the mortal sin of lip syncing uh, in a live space. Mm -hmm. um, and then MC Hammer was also the first artist that taught me that like Making it is not the end-all be-all. If anything, it can lead to an even worse position than what you started out in, like yes. having his stuff foreclosed. I remember there were like some images from that behind the music where they they like showed his old tacky ass mansion in his like MC Hammer gate. And that was like a really Too legit. Yeah. There was <laughs> that was like a really good lesson in being careful who you let on your payroll and in your entourage. Oh, yeah. Millie oh, yeah. Vanilli was a cautionary tale about <laughs> um, sometimes having a lot of success is a bad thing and people can turn on you just as quickly as they can lift you up. And then TLC was just kind of like sad. I mean, they do have like some cautionary tale stuff in there in regards to them ending up owing their label like a ton of money, even though they had like number ones and were selling out tours and were doing this, that and the other thing. And you can still be fucking broke. And that yeah. as a kid like blew my mind because you think 
you see them everywhere. They're doing well. They have, you know, you don't have the language for it, but like you have sponsorships and yeah, it, it looks like by all accounts, they're doing fine. And then to find out, you know, during fan mail that, no, that was all, uh, that was all a mirage. It was all carefully crafted and that they were like in debt for years and years. I, I found that to be, I mean, all of it was like scary, fascinating, right? And I think that's yes, the whole reason why we're like into documentaries like we are now. But totally. I, thinking back to the TLC behind the music, I don't know if you ever watched the Lifetime movie that they made of TLC, but it's basically a complete ripoff of behind the music of like yeah. of the TLC. Like they they basically lifted it like word for word. Yeah. So I and so yeah, behind the music gave us a lot. <laughs> It really did. So for me, some of the first ones I remember watching are um, Millie Vanilli and MC Hammer, obviously. Um, Leif Garrett's uh, Behind the mm, Music, mm-hmm. because that one has a moment in which he apologizes to an old friend that he had a falling out with, I think over like drugs or money or something oh. like, because he was a, you know, a fallen teen idol who, right. who went through a lot of addiction. Um, and I'm looking at the list because I felt like that was helpful as Selena for sure, because I remember them interviewing mm-hmm. Yolanda and like, uh, and, and realizing like how well they cast Yolanda in the Jennifer Lopez film. Um, and a couple of others for me that stick out are going to be Metallica's for sure. Um, that one is very sad because, you know, one of their bassist died in the eighties in a car crash, um, or in a bus crash. And then, um, one of the last ones I remember, of course, is Fleetwood Mac. I mean, that one is just like, and and I think it's that was one of the ones they remastered or redid or whatever. But I remember the original for sure. And I think it came out not too far after the, you know, the dance album, the really big comeback live album with the Silver Springs, you know, live song. But it was just, yeah, these are like, this is the first one of the first times I remember hearing about cocaine usage and like things mm-hmm. like that. Like this is uh, where you kind of start to hear about these things. And to your point, like you learn about embezzlement and not trusting mm-hmm. your relatives and signing shoddy contracts when you're a kid because you don't have financial literacy and you grew up in a world in which no one around you had that financial literacy. And you, I think, you know, a lot of it really is summed up in that ESPN. Uh, 30 for 30 broke like people just yes. make a lot of stupid decisions when they're in their prime in their early 20s and something can change in a flash and you're out on the street uh, yeah well i think a lot of it is i mean naivete into totally uh, for lack of a better term because i think i think the theme across the 30 for 30 broke and also a lot of these behind the music so a lot of these people thought that they would always get a second chance they always yes. thought they'd be on top right and it's just like yeah. it's the hubris that took them down ultimately but i yeah. i think that um there there were also like um it served as like a deeper understanding though of some bands like why they were so popular like i remember when i was younger i had a babysitter that was absolutely obsessed with new kids on the block but i was too young to care or to even fully understand. And I remember watching a behind the music that yes, that properly encapsulated what their fandom was like, like how Beatles-like it was, how girls were like mm-hmm. fully freaking mm-hmm. out. Like, it's like that scene in that thing you do where they were like on top of their – I think they had footage of them like kids like on top of their car where yes. they couldn't leave. And, and it honestly like spurred a New Kids on the Block mini phase for me in like middle school, high school after watching it. So I was like, oh, I get it now. Like, uh, it's a little bit more interesting. And and I think it was perfectly timed with, like, Brian McKnight's, like, new single. And there was there was some interesting timing with some of these. Like, I remember they also did, like, a Brett Michaels one around the time that they did Rock of Love. Oh, yeah. And I think you met, you met Jordan Knight, right? Not Brian McKnight. Yes. Sorry. Not start back <laughs> at one. Uh, um, and also, I mean, isn't he the one that has, like, all this family drama that's happening now where he completely disowns his, like, first kids and now – Oh, I don't know only, about that. I'm pretty sure that's him. Maybe. I Like, I, I remember watching that behind the music um, because the big deal around that time was that Jonathan Knight, Jordan Knight's brother, came out. Oh, right. And now uh, he has that HGTV show. He has the HGTV show. And then, like, yeah, I, it might be Jordan Knight because I'm thinking, like – Donnie, uh, you know, like Donnie is busy Wahlburgering. Up, well, you before, know, I mean, he was on that short lived and, and I can't even believe I know this. He was on that short lived NBC show Boomtown that was supposed yeah. to be like NBC's answer to the wire. 
Oh my god, yeah. So before he like Wahlburgered it up and became like he's a TV, yeah, like a, a Jenny network. McCarthy apologist. He was doing. He was a TV actor for some time. Yeah. But yes, it must have been time with Jordan McKnight's single give it to you because I remember like all of that kind of like coinciding and I mean I could be totally wrong it could just be feelings based and not facts based but that's what I remember no I that makes a lot of sense I think um one of the the things that we've kind of alluded to is that behind the musics may all tell different tales but they all have very similar patterns in their (laughs) storytelling for you, when we when you think about it, what are some of those iconic like signature music cues or uh, editing choices or uh, narratives that make a behind the music episode a behind the music episode? I think when they like zoom in on a picture and then like tint it blue and then yes. also do like the x-ray thing, you're like, yes. uh, oh, shit's like about to go down. Like, And I'm specifically thinking of like the Fleetwood Mac one where they like had quote yes. unquote like drugs on the table and like yes. to really like it's bad. Like they really wanted yes. to illustrate how terrible yes. it was and how it like tore this band apart. Um But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the narrative that intros behind the music, I think, stays with you forever, right? Like, it's similar to the the sound drop for MTV News. Yeah, I I would agree. I think another one is... um, you alluded to a lot of the camera choices. Mm. The mu- there's like a music cue where like as soon as you hear soft like classical guitar, you know it's about to get real as well. Like death is is knocking on, you know, <laughs> people are knocking on death's door at this point. Like it's it's um and and like very quickly the music will go from like playing, you know, they'll start with a couple of songs from the artist who who's given permission when they've given permission and then they'll cue this sad guitar music. And if it's like a band that had electric guitars, it'll be that like 80s, you know, electric do 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 like guitar. I'm doing a terrible job, but you know what I mean? Like there it's it, it no matter what the episode you would have these very easy camera music cues to tell you what's going to happen in the next two minutes. They also, the talking heads, if they could get the artist, like Leif Garrison, I believe, had a talking head in his. So if they could get the artist to come in and provide commentary on their own life, they sat them in these like director chairs. Yes. And and they set them up in a way where it looked like... And obviously it's the other way around, like the the cribbing here. But in Lindsay Lohan's Liz and Dick, you know, when they have like their ghosts question mark, like yes. commentating on their whole life. That's, yes. the, that's the setup that the artist would be in for Behind the Music, which I always thought was so funny because I'm like, and I also remember thinking like, are they still with us? Like how yeah. you never really quite knew till like the very end, like unless they were still a contemporary artist, you never know. You, you yeah. didn't know who was still alive. You didn't know. And I'm glad you bring up talking heads because there were a couple of people who were like staples in these documentaries. Like I feel like um, Michael Musso from The Village Voice was oftentimes, if it was like a a CBGB, like a blondie behind the music, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I feel like that's the whole reason why I even know that guy's name. Yeah. And there was uh, even someone who had probably had his own uh, behind the music, Niall Rogers, because he was a Mm. prolific session musician outside of being in Chic. He gets interviewed a lot in these. Like, there's a lot of men with berets and like one earring who are getting and wearing sunglasses who are getting interviewed for the as the talking heads in these. Yeah, I thought that was they used a lot of the same people across multiple VH1 shows to do some of the like history context setting and it was usually like a culture writer who had been around for a long time and was like in the scene so they were always pretty well vetted I thought yeah yeah it was um but yeah that's it is amazing how there are a couple people who are just a part of our no knowledge overall like pop culture knowledge because of the show um but you never forget like I don't even think I would I don't because we're not well I'm not from New York I would have never known like the village voice and like what it stood for and how involved they were and how it was uh, like what people went to. It was like the equivalent of like an L.A. Weekly. Like it's what you referred to if you wanted to know what was like going on. So they always did a really good job in that regard. But also 
um, in educating like their wider audience of like the different localized um, <laughs> I want to say like localized news, but like I guess it's for lack of a better term, that's what I mean. Were there um, any episodes where you learned about maybe not hearing an artist's name for the first time, but like learned about a genre or something? And the reason I ask is in doing research, I noticed that there were um, a few episodes, not about artists, exact specific artists, but about certain years in music or like Lilith Fair or Woodstock 92 or Woodstock 99. Um, was there, were there any like specific topics you remember learning more about or a certain genre of music? No, I don't think so. Like, I don't remember those as clearly, but yeah. it's, it was more like learning about specific, like, uh, like the Quincy Jones, I guess, would be one that I didn't have any context for him and how impactful he was in music at all yeah so it served as like a basis for that or like learning more about like Gloria Gaynor like didn't really have a ton of context for her or even like a band like my mom really like like in excess they did like a Michael Hutchins one like I knew that he had died but I didn't know anything about him or like how it got to that point all I knew is that he was in he was in an excess they were a massively popular band he died, and then like years later, they had that terrible NBC show, like oh, yeah. trying to find his replacement, right? And but I didn't know anything about it, and I my mom never really talked about it or explained it, and so I learned about it on behind the music. Did you learn about a specific event through the show? Um, I think one of the things I probably learned more about was maybe to your point, like not so much a specific event, maybe just knowing that like certain things happened in music and like a certain year, like 1992, 94, I feel like behind the music is really a big reason. I know I learned so much about like grunge music, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like I, I knew about Nirvana, but you know, I was so young when Kurt Cobain died and I, my Gen X cousins were more Pearl Jam and other, you know, more of the Lilith fair variety than, than, than uh, Nirvana. And so my knowledge of Nirvana and everything around that comes from, behind the music and like that world and like maybe watching a Nirvana episode, but also like an episode on 1992 or 1994. So maybe that's probably where the the one thing I remember learning a lot about is, is grunge through this show. Oh, you know what I remember is watching the Chris Gaines special that they did. Oh my God. I was going to bring this up. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Because in you know, trying to access old memories. It's like, why am I so obsessed with Chris Gaines, even though I'm like not even a Garth Brooks fan by any stretch of the imagination? Why did I think it was so funny? Because because then um, what's his face? AJ did the same thing for like a Johnny, Johnny No Name. But Johnny No Name, yeah. But it wasn't like an official behind the music, but it was like spoofing, spoofing the Chris Gaines one. But I remember that because I straight up did not understand what he was doing and why he was doing it. And I was just fascinated because I thought it was so funny and I know it wasn't meant to be but that's how I took it I yeah I mean it was it was interesting I mean like the fact is he came up with an entire backstory for this artist for this and he wanted to have a whole episode of television dedicated to where he played the artist I just remember it being it the whole time you're wondering like when is he gonna drop this and he like does not drop character the entire time I mean I you know to be honest I wonder if Taylor Swift pulls a Chris Gaines because I can't think of any artist like other than maybe Beyonce who has been as big as Taylor Swift from a concert standpoint like Garth Brooks in the 90s was selling out these types of venues and like I do wonder if we'll if we'll get a Chris Gaines character <laughs> out of Taylor Swift I don't know that was just a random thought but I yeah don't I mean think so. I don't believe that's in her personality <laughs> wheelhouse and Beyonce already did it with Sasha Fierce and she probably would prefer that everybody forget that so that's very true that's very true oh you know what I else also learned about through this show is Rocky Horror Picture Show because there oh, was sure. a behind the music about it and I again because no one in my immediate family around me was really into Rocky Horror I didn't really learn about it until you know 13 14 years old watched a behind the music episode on the Rocky Horror Picture Show and learned about, you know, the midnight screenings, the subculture and all that. And then had that knowledge to go in, you know, freshman year of college, the first time I ever saw it in a theater and kind of knew what to do a little bit. 
Yeah, um, I think thanks yeah. to other other friends who are into it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. I, I definitely had an awareness of Rocky Horror before, but I and I don't really remember that episode specifically at all. But I do remember their like Woodstock '69 behind the music. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and their Lilith Fair one. But uh, did it like did it tell me anything that I didn't know? I wouldn't. I don't know. Like I don't remember that vividly. It didn't have that big of an impact as like some of these more individualistic ones. Like. What I remember about the whole affair one is mostly just like, oh, there's like the ASPCA lady and she's a part of this festival. Got it. I mean, isn't that telling that the one festival organized by women for women is the one that ends up having the least amount of drama? Unlike, you know, Woodstock 99 and like most festivals organized in the 1990s, like outside of Coachella, like it's it is funny to me. Uh, yeah, that that ends up being. A behind the music episode, but ultimately probably was one of the <laughs> least eventful because there was just no drama or, you know, things to report on. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we talked about this a little bit, um, the influence and impact that this show has on rock docs and podcasts. Um, are there any other pieces of media that come to mind in terms of how this show impacted the way storytelling is done? I think it mostly impacted artists, I think, too, in a way that they could have they could have ownership and control of their own story. I think that mm. it, without without having any sort of like recourse. Right. Like, I feel like it was I would I don't I'm sure it's not the first time that artists were talking openly about their trials and tribulations uh, in dealing with the music industry. But I do feel like behind the music put like a crack in it to make it I wouldn't say a safe space either but like I feel like since behind the music artists have been more forthcoming about things that happen in their life versus it being this whole big cloak and dagger you know just make sure you look good like no one's ever gonna know how will they ever find out kind of thing I think it empowered artists more to be in control of like I think they saw the value in taking ownership of your story and not hiding it or letting somebody else tell it for you I think you're right. I think the other thing is, you know, look, the more things change, the more they stay the same. There are plenty of artists that are still to this day cautionary tales of what not to do. But I do think that it probably gave some of these artists some sort of literacy in the sense of like, see what XYZ did with their money, um, like wasting it away. Totally. And I think it also was useful for them in giving them like a second act. Like MC Hammer is still relevant. Millie Vanilli just had that Paramount Plus documentary come out about them. You name anybody on this list. I, I Some of them obviously didn't need the help. Like, it's not like Frank Sinatra, like, needs help being recognized, right? But, like, um, like an Aria Speedwagon, like, I'm sure it wasn't, like, it didn't hurt them that they were on a behind the music. It wasn't like they were necessarily, like, a controversial band that that had, like, a, a negative reputation. If anything, it just, like, helped raise their awareness and probably brought about Maybe uh, a commercial wanted to use their song or something, right? Or at least yeah. like land a joke. I think that, I think that it helped artists, and I think it also gave them. I hesitate to use a second chance, but like made them culturally culturally relevant again. And what they did with that was kind of up to them. I totally agree. I think there's something that's changed since the initial airing of the show, too. Though is sure we. Nostalgia acts could still make quite a bit of money in the 90s uh, touring like a Rolling Stones or a Paul Simon or someone like that. 
But I will say, I think we've given even more um, opportunities to these individuals to tour these days and kind of position themselves together to be a nostalgia tour. So while maybe um, one of these bands is not holding their own on a tour by themselves, they might group, you know, buddy up with two other behind the music esque Mm -hmm. bands and do a nostalgia tour where they can sell out some amphitheaters and like do pretty well for themselves. But I and I feel like we are more receptive to that type of of act or 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 tour than we were back then for whatever reason. And maybe that's just my perception, but I feel like we have more avenues for that. No, I totally agree because I mean, I think Vegas is a perfect encapsulation, yes. right? Like at the time of Behind the Music's original airing. If you went to Vegas, your career went there to die, essentially. Like you were You're just Wayne Newton. Be, yeah. Yeah. Or like a Barry Manilow. You know, it wasn't until Celine got there that it even had it was okay. But even still then it was still like, oh well, that's just like Celine's thing, right? And it's not yeah. until like the last couple of like the last ten or so years that they've made a conscious effort to make residencies look cool. And I think in huge part that's to Britney Spears' credit to that like kind of I wouldn't say revolutionized but like changed the connotation to having a Vegas residency and similarly to that you could apply that same logic to nostalgia acts yeah I would 100% agree um other questions that I have for you which is um We've talked about how this show influenced the way we tell stories about rock acts in documentaries, podcasts, other places, and allows artists to kind of own their story more. There are certain things about this show that we talked about from an editing perspective that probably didn't age quite well. And if you saw it today, you would probably laugh. Are there are there any other aspects of the show that just feel really dated when you watch kind of one of the original episodes, maybe not one of the revisits? I mean, I'm sure it's the reenactments. Like the reenactments yeah. were always silly, and they, and I think because we do them even less now, that yeah. they just kind of come across as like hokey, and um, they kind of like take you out of it, right? Because you're you're so clearly watching, you know, footage that's dramatized for the purposes of the show, and they're doing them in earnest, which I think makes it worse because <laughs> it's yeah. not like. You know, Real Housewives of Potomac recently did like a fake reenactment of like a nail salon around like a plot line. And they were clearly doing it like as a joke, as a riff. Whereas like when you rewatch it with behind the music, they are very clearly doing it to like show you how serious it is. And like this is really bad or, you know, to really just drive home the it really sometimes can feel a little bit like one of those like this is your brain on drugs PSAs. It's like we get it. Like doing heroin is not good. I don't need these like really intense shots of someone off of central casting, like tying off. Like it, I get it. Yeah. I I think you point to one of the things that definitely wouldn't be a part of any of the newer behind the music episodes that have been released. Um, another thing that's kind of changed since its initial airing, in addition to kind of getting rid of the rean- dramatic reenactment <laughs> segments, um, would be that I think the conversation of who gets to be in, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and honored has really changed in 20 years. So if you look at a lot of these acts, you know, yeah, they did a pretty good job featuring not just white men, but a a huge portion of them were in fact white men. How do you think this show would look if it had, you know, initially aired for the first time in this world where we've started to have these conversations about how we need to be more inclusive on these kind of best of lists of artists of different gender, race, sexualities, and, you know, kind of other identities. I actually don't even know if if, if Behind the Music did a, a bad job necessarily since Millie Vanilli was like literally one of the first episodes that they did. Same. And then MC Hammer. Yeah. And I, and I have to say that, unfortunately, the people that were making the decisions then are still making the decisions now. And so until that changes, I don't really think we're going to get the diversity that I think everybody wants. And I mean, when you look at the list, they do have a pretty diverse group of performers. It is not just all white guys. It really isn't. And it's not all tragedy porn. I think that they really try to do a good job of like mixing up the types of stories that they tell, even if they have some of the same overlapping themes. Yeah. I I think again, back to like salt and pepper and like TLC, even though they had that like fucked up reenactment footage of 
left eye's accident, I do feel like they tried to paint it as like a triumph for them and how they did well. I think if they were if they were just making it now, they would just add like more TikTok and YouTube people. That's how they would make it diverse. You know what I mean? It wouldn't necessarily be diversity of race and gender. It'd be diversity of talking age, age and like where they're discovered and who knows. But I think it'd be more clickbaity. Well, you brought up something which I just remembered, which is that behind the music, to your point, sometimes doesn't have a tragic story. Like Huey Lewis in the news is a great example. Like I watched that episode way back when, like 20 years ago. I did watch the revisited version um, that they put on Paramount Plus, which is a little sad because he has a medical condition now that does not allow him to sing. But Mm. this wasn't a man who faced like terrible addiction issues, did not suffer like incredible tragedy um, it's and didn't you know lose all of his money? It's a very like this was a happy guy in the Bay Area whose band found success in like the mid '80s and had a killer soundtrack hit. Like and and then maybe wasn't as famous five, five or ten years later, but still does pretty well for himself until he could no longer tour. Like you know what I mean? It was then just like probably- it was nice to have a a mild uh, a boy gone mild story on behind the music. <laughs> totally. And I'm sure he still does well off royalties now. You know what I Absolutely. mean? Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. Mean, it really makes me think about that um, Bill Simmons music box documentary series on HBO that they did. And it, yes, of course, there were sad ones like the DMX one I could not finish. Yeah. I yeah. ended up watching all the Juice World one, which was extremely fucking sad. But yeah. then I think about like the Kenny G one, which Kenny is just like, a feel good documentary about a man that has always been successful even when you clown on him and even if he didn't have music he'd still be fucking rich bitch because he fucking owns part of starbucks like he owns part of starbucks he kicks ass at pro-am tours like you know he he invested his money well he is a per like he he is the type of person that i think more people should try to be like right like everybody thinks you just like wake up and you're like amazing at something and if you're not amazing at something you should just quit Kenny G is all about like, no, I was never good at anything and I had to work extremely hard to even be even this good. And and I never want to let up. So that's why I walk around my house barefoot and play my instrument all day long and drive everybody crazy. Like, I, I just find it to be really interesting. And so I think you need to have that balance of, you know, insane tragedy. Like, how could this happen? Like a Woodstock 99. Then you need to have like boy gone mild like (laughs) Kenny G and then you got you have to have like the mix of like super sad shit on the other end and I think that behind the music did a really good job of balancing all of that and unfortunately I think if they rebooted it more so than they already have now by remastering some of these and adding you know like director's cut footage or whatever it would just be a dip in quality (laughs) because it would all just be because true crime is such a dominant part of pop like a part of culture of what people like to consume that they would be forced not forced but they would be pressured probably to have more stories on there that harken closer to true crime or like an unsolved mysteries or whatever than you know than a Huey Lewis in the fucking news because who cares that he's oh no he can't sing that sucks but he's old and like who cares whatever he already had his time versus you know you talk about like the exploding hearts who had died tragically in like a bus bus crash i'm sure that would be more of an interesting topic than something mildly uplifting yeah i i think you're absolutely right like there is kind of i think the kenny g you bring up a great point because i think the kenny g documentary and that mix of bill simmons rock docs works really well but i wonder if people it, it would have been as um well watched and liked as it was if it was one of many about a well-liked individual who never kind of faced controversy and had a pretty you know steady career throughout their lives like it's it's true that we you know the tragedy porn fact is a big aspect of what drew some people to behind the music and subsequently a lot of things like true crime. Um, in terms of talking about behind the music, we've covered a lot of things. We've covered its overall influence on how we consume media today, the types of media we consume, and and how people choose to tell stories. What are other aspects of the lasting legacy of Behind the Music and this kind of type of show on VH1? And and what have we lost from not having this be a staple of today's pop culture landscape? I mean, I think you and I already talked about it, but it it served as a base for the next generation to learn about culture that happened before they were born or even when they were very young. And 
it just gives you more context into how the world works. Like, I think by losing a show like this, like, sure, we don't need more cautionary tales, but like, I would love to do a fucking Kimmel on the street. Like, do these bands sound real to you to see if anybody remembers yeah. or knows them? Right. Like, because I'm I'm not saying that all younger kids like don't understand that, but I do feel like you know, sometimes you get on Twitter and people say things that you're like, this is why we need VH1 arts entertainment, because you'd be asking these questions or making these wild comparisons if you had any sort of contextual knowledge of pop culture over the last 20, 30 plus years. And I definitely don't think that I would be well versed as well versed in pop culture and music if I didn't have something like behind the music. So you can't necessarily like blame people, obviously, for knowing things that they do not know. But I remember my primary drive of trying to understand pop culture better was I wanted to understand Simpsons jokes better. I wanted to understand like adult conversations better. And I feel like behind the music and I love insert decade here gave me the vocabulary and gave me the insight and the knowledge to be able to confidently talk about stuff when, you know, when you, when you want to understand where the music industry is at or why certain artists are popular and why certain artists are not. It's just, it's like having a history book. You can't really replace it. And so I think that what we're losing here is like collective knowledge. I wouldn't say like a one source of truth because I don't necessarily believe in that, but like uh, cultural touchstones that people watch and that give them like a greater understanding. Like we're less focused on educating anybody at this point. Not to say that like behind the music was necessarily something you should show in a fucking classroom, but it was part of a larger piece. Yeah, I think you we talked about this earlier and you pointed to it again which is so much of the way we consumed pop culture as kids was through a secondary analysis of it rather than experiencing it firsthand which is mm -hmm. so interesting and not something people these days kids these days really do anymore um so it is that is very interesting um and i do think yeah like that sometimes before I'd ever heard a song by a specific musician, I'd seen their behind the music episode, which is kind of weird in hindsight. Like the first time I ever heard Girl, You Know It's True by Millie Vanilli was on the episode, the behind the music episode, Millie Vanilli, because they featured it. But I'd never actually heard it on the radio, probably because people don't really play it. Um, but too, like, you know, it's it's so funny that that is ultimately how we consume pop culture in these in this really interesting primary way of what we experience firsthand as it was happening, but at the same time feature, you know, experiencing it in a secondary way through the eyes of someone else who lived it. Um, it's almost like oral history. Um, and we have a bit of that on TikTok. Like there are some great content creators who do a good job telling these stories, um, speaking to kind of telling the story in a, you know, behind the music fashion, but it's just, yeah, it's just not the same. It's not the same as like, being bored on a Saturday morning and there's nothing on TV but a four hour behind the music marathon and you're just going to watch it because there's, you know, nothing else on TV. But also it was really well produced and it was yeah. well told. Yeah. And I think that maybe, maybe it was aimed at younger people or maybe it wasn't, but it did feel very tailored for someone like us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Before we kind of end the episode for today, are there any um, final honorable mentions of episodes we have not talked about during this Oh, uh, I'm discussion? sure. Let's see. Aerosmith. That was interesting. Yes. Yes. I'm going to scroll. Oh, my God. The Blues Travelers one. That was also interesting. Boys to Men. Also yep. great. George Very Michael. Didn't know anything yep. about him. Yep. Uh, I watched that Chicago one. Fascinating because oh, yeah. there was a lot of anger with Peter Cetera. Um, Mariah Carey's was very good as well because a lot of it focused, you know, on her marriage to Tommy Mottola. Uh, oh, right. That was like the first time I found out that he was bad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. John Denver. I definitely watched that one because I was after the plane crash. So so that was a really, yeah. And talk about a man gone mild. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he had a pretty sweet life, was just a kind soul making folk music until sadly he died. But Neil Diamond, Celine Dion had a great one because she mm -hmm. was really, she was very good about laughing about herself. So like they showed Anna Gasteyer's impression. She was a talking head on that episode and she was, Celine embraced it and brought her on tour with her. Uh, yeah, there are so many Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, this was pre Osbournes, but like 
you know, you got you got a, a taste of everything. Sinead O'Connor, that's when I learned about the, you know, ripping the picture of the Pope, like on SNL. Um, no doubt had a good one. Tiffany, I yes. didn't know anything about before that. And then also Same. Andy Gibb. I didn't know Andy, that the PGs yeah. had another brother. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it was just like, this is like, what a list. Like, this is, again, how we learned about pop culture, REM. I mean, I really love REM, oh, yeah. but this was, I learned so much about their history through this. Red Hot Chili Peppers, I learned about, you know, ba- their bass, like their guitarist Hillel Slovak who died. Um, I didn't realize Smash Mouth ha- had an episode. That's a thing. Well, uh, uh, also the Weird Al one. Talk about another one that was like not that bad, right? Yeah, g- Guy Gone Mild. Exactly. Like, oh, he like found success and he was like nice the whole time. Like, okay, great. <laughs> Sweet. Well, you brought up Quincy Jones earlier. I'll be honest. That's the only way. I, the reason I learned that Kidada Jones, his daughter, was Tupac's girlfriend at the time of his death. Like, I didn't know that until I watched that Quincy Jones behind the music episode. Well, I think watching that that episode of Behind the Music is the only reason why, like, I was not surprised to find out that Rashida was his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I kind of knew that already. Tony Braxton's was really good. Mm, and it was sad. It was sad. It was sad. Bad Fingers was very sad, too. That's like a, a 70s band that, like, you know, had mild success and then didn't do well. Uh, Christina Aguilera was an interesting one because she that was one of the newer ones that came out in the early 2000s. But mm. like she sadly had a you know abusive father. And so that was that was very sad. Uh, and then Megadeth, because that's the one where Dave Mustaine is still clearly very bitter about not being a member of Metallica. <laughs> yeah, I just remember, just remember the Brett Michaels one was also. Very oh, my funny. God. Another it was one, funny. Yeah, another one where it's like, oh, he like lucked out and then he's just been extending these 15 minutes of fame every time it's like due to renew. And every time it's about to expire, he goes and stamps his 15 minutes of fame card. And he's like, all right, I'm going to sing Every Rose Has Its Thorn to all these like drunk boomer women. All right. <laughs> to be clear, I have no problem with Brett Michaels. I just find him to be another like funny dude that's just sort of like found success after success and he doesn't I don't think he like pretends to even know how or why he is where he is but he's like I'm just happy to be here I appreciate that about him that's like that's awareness oh Shania Twain and Death Leopard and the reason I bring them up both at the same time is they still both use the same cryptic photo of Mutt Lang because the man (laughs) does not like to he he believes in a religion where like he doesn't like to be photographed i think it's something very new agey is that true uh, i think so it's something like that he just doesn't like to be photographed so there or or like doesn't like to appear in video uh, you know, or talking head segments or anything like that. He doesn't do press. And so in Shania Twain, they, they use the same, and Def Leppard, they use the same black and white photo of Mutt Lang. Well, I remember it, the Shania doc that we watched in the last year or two had something similar going on too. Exactly. It's a, I, and it might even be the same photo or it might be one of his few other photos out there but like he you know one they were divorced so that's probably why he wasn't interviewed but two well that's why I assumed that to begin with but now to know that he's got some aversion to photos and video that's that's interesting yeah oh sublime had a good one too that was a that was a good episode yeah because Um, they filmed at that motel on the sunset yes in the the sunset where he died Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, and then they go there. There is a that was a, another bad bad reenactment. That was episode. a very bad reenactment. Very kind of weird and inappropriate. Uh, yeah, it's like not <laughs> sensitive at all. Again, just like the left eye, like the Lisa left eye Lopez stuff, like really stays with me because it really was like super fucked up. I really yeah. Like, why would you reenact her death? Like, what does that I don't know. I what don't is- know. What is reenacting like an OD at like a motel in the sunset? What is that? What is that giving anyone? What? I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like they also had a reenactment in the Vanilla Ice episode, which is another one I very that's clearly remember. another one that remember. stays with me. Of course. Yeah, because he, oh. that was the first time I ever heard that Suge Knight story about him hanging him over the side of a balcony. Yes. Yes. Which I think they did a reenactment of they or did something. did do a reenactment. Yeah. That was funny. That was funny. Well, that was funny. You, know, you never really thought anybody was in any mortal danger. So you could laugh because you were just like. Yeah. Oh, like, I don't know. There's something about Vanilla Ice that's, like, obviously deeply unserious. And so him being threatened by Suge Knight, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, Suge Knight, like, is a bad person. And then, you know, yeah. 10 years later, he tries to 
run over the producer of Straight Outta Compton with his car and then finally ends up in jail. So you're like, mm. so everything yeah, that everybody said about I'm- you DH1 for the last 10 plus years has been correct. Has been correct. Yeah. Yeah. Big surprise. Um, and then, oh, Notorious B.I.G. That's another one for sure. sure. Biggie's. Yeah. But like similar to Biggie and like Christina and Britney and some of these other artists that were also on MTV, I feel like there was a lot of crossover on biographies mm. about them over the years yes. to where I feel yes. like I can't confidently say that I remember any of all those three because there was so much because there was like a Christina mtv special where like you learned a lot of the same things and i watched both i'm sure but i don't remember which one belongs to which special to your point it's kind of hard to remember where it stops where one starts and one stops no i I feel the same way and like the story i told you about christina aguilera could have very well been from a before they were famous or a mtv diary or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was um, – no, to your point, any of the ones that were kind of more MTV 90s artists is where I start to, ble- like, confuse the two. So, But but there are ones where I very clearly remember, especially the older episodes, um, where it's about an artist that's kind of prior to 1995. Mm-hmm. I will vividly remember that behind the music. Yes. Yeah, like, like I can feel very confident saying, like – I remember the reenactment cocaine scenes from Fleetwood Mac, and I cannot confuse them for any other special other than behind the music. Nope. Nope. And then they also did like a Lindsay Buckingham one that I didn't finish because it wasn't as interesting as the Fleetwood Mac stuff, which has always been his biggest problem is that he's just simply not as interesting without everybody else around him. But whatever. That's neither here nor there. I know. And you bring up a point, which is like sometimes the best musician in the group doesn't necessarily equate to the best storyteller of the group. But now we said it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, any final thoughts before we we end this episode? VH1, let us reboot. I love the insert decade here. I feel like we have a body of work to prove that we could pull it off. And, you know, the children need to be educated because if I have to see another like ignorant tweet about pop culture, I'm going to lose it. I'm just going (laughs) to lose it, collect my Medicare, like, bye-bye. Well, oh, my God, as somebody terrifyingly told me at a wedding recently, you can get an AARP card at any time. (laughs) (laughs) someone our age has an AARP card that they're like yeah I just use it like for the discounts I'm like I don't think that that's right at all on that very depressing and uh sobering note (laughs) no yeah you thought you were having fun now and I'm put the fucking kibosh (laughs) on that shit real fast (laughs) we say thank you very much for joining us again on our podcast we appreciate you checking out our episodes and continuing to listen if you want to hear more you can go to apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen and find our podcast over there and while you're at it if there's a way to rate or write us a review feel free to do so but just know that there's something weird going on over at spotify and apple Podcasts, where all you can give us are five star ratings and you know, if you're okay accepting that technical difficulty, we'll be there with you supporting you as you put that rating together. And don't let this affect your rating, but we are taking Thanksgiving week off, which is also known as next week. So we won't have an episode for you then, but the following week we'll have two episodes for you. We'll have like a regular full-length episode, and then we'll have like a little Patreon preview of us talking about the Britney Spears memoir. So keep an eye out for that. Oh, yeah. Faux shiz, faux shiz, genuine. Uh, <laughs> you can find us on social media at the old millennials pod. We are on Instagram and Facebook. And I won't say until next time, faux shiz, but I will say until next time we say bye-bye. Faux shiz. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.